Welcome to the MetaWorker Podcast. The MetaWorker is an online literary magazine where great stories are forged. We publish new and established writers and look for work that surprises or that doesn't fit anywhere else. For new content every week, follow us on social media at The MetaWorker. You can support our mission on Patreon and find us online at www.themetaworker.com. Join our Discord community for more events like this, as well as writing tips, group writing circles, and just generally great conversations. Writers of any level from anywhere in the world are welcome. The text of the pieces read in each episode is copyright by the respective authors. The MetaWorker podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative works, 4.0, international license. This means you may not sell, alter, or transcribe any part of the podcast, but you are free to share or copy the file as long as you retain attribution to the MetaWorker and the author. And now, enjoy the episode! Hello, everyone. My name is Elena Perez. I'm the editor-in-chief of The MetaWorker. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. So for those following along on our website, we have had a leadership change. We'll get into that in a minute, but I want to introduce the rest of the editors. I'm Melissa Reynolds, go by Mel, and I am also an editor here with The MetaWorker, and I'm happy to be here. And I'm Karen Jones, and I'm the international editor here at The Meta Worker, and I'm thrilled to be here. It's been such a long time since we did a podcast, and I'm excited. Yay. So we are here today with our former editor-in-chief, Matthew Mason. Back in April, we made an announcement that we were changing leadership. So we're going to talk to Matthew today to see what he's been up to. So before we continue the conversation, we're going to do something new for us. We're shouting out a fellow literary podcast. This one is called Switchyard Tulsa. It's a production of the University of Tulsa and Public Radio Tulsa and hosted by award-winning editor, journalist, and author Ted Genoways. The Switchyard podcast features eye-opening essays, moving fiction, soul-stirring poetry, and honest, thought-provoking conversation. Guests include graphic novelist Art Spiegelman, former U.S. poet laureate Natasha Trethaway, cartoonist Maya Kobe, and more. This podcast stood out to us because it covers topics that carry a societal depth, addressing topics that stimulate further conversations and directly affect the world that we live in today. So listen to Switchyard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. So Matthew, just go ahead and introduce yourself um, and then tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since you stepped away. Hello, I am Matthew Mation. Due to a variety of circumstances, particularly when I started, I was an editor, um, but also like being a teacher, I publish typically under the pseudonym Jonathan Hart. And you will find a lot more from me under that pseudonym. And yeah, I've been writing and submitting a lot. In the last few months, not as much writing because I've been querying for a novel. And that is going, uh, you know, how, how querying for novels tends to go, um, which is that it's, it's an adventure. And I have been um, accepted 
quite a few times recently. I have upcoming um, pieces. I just got published recently with Erie River in an anthology called From Beyond the Threshold. It's a horror anthology, and the story, I believe, was about... I believe. I know what it's about because I wrote it. It's about a woman who watches snuff films on the internet and eventually finds a cursed snuff film that leads to her encountering a god. That's the kind of stuff I often write. Um, so that's that's like a good snapshot into, I guess, what you can expect from me when I'm left to my own devices and nobody stops me. Congrats on that on that publication, Matthew. That's that's so cool. You're you always have really interesting story ideas. <laughs> I'll have to go look that one up. Yeah, I try to. It's hard to even make it without interesting story ideas these days. I came up with a story that I thought was interesting and the editors personally told me that it was like cliche once. And ever since then, I've realized like there's so much out there. You really cannot get anywhere unless you I don't know, unless you try your hardest to 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 set yourself apart and and come up with interesting ideas, especially now. Do you think that influences your writing style, needing to, I guess, tailor what you write to an audience? Or do you still try to respect your artistic vision as much as you can? That is something I think about a lot. Um, I actually have gone through phases where I try to write to the mass market. Um, both of the novels that I wrote fairly recently in the last few years started out with me trying to do that and ultimately failing. Um, in the sense that I got in the way. The, 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 the weirdness inside of me got in the way of it being a mass marketable novel. And I've come to peace with that because I've looked at my writing and myself, and I've had to be honest that, like, for something to get written, I have to want to write it. And for me to have to want to write it, I have to be excited by it. So, you know, I know someone who was able to do a full-time writing gig for a while, writing under, like, four pseudonyms, um, various types of romance novels, and could put out, like, to this person's credit, they could put out like about 10,000 words a day, if not more. And they were able to convincingly write under these four pseudonyms. And you could believe that they were four different authors. But the thing is, all of the books that they wrote were very much like, this is a marketable romance novel that will sell. But even then, even then, when you talk to that person and you really got down to it with them, you realize this was a person who genuinely did feel very passionate about romance. They were not just doing it for the money. They felt passionate about the genre and they felt passionate about the material. And if they didn't, they wouldn't be able to do it. I think the idea of an author selling out, like it's so hard to actually sell out. Because the determination to write something that you're not passionate about, that's hard. That's a lot of determination to like sit down every day writing something you genuinely don't care about. I've never seen an author who does it. A really good point. That is, yeah. I, I always see these, um, 
advice of like these, especially the self-published authors who like have to write so much to sell, to make a living off of it. That thought has crossed my mind, but that does make sense that they would have to have some sort of investment to keep doing this. Um, it's just that, yeah, their their focus is slightly different mm. from what I would expect, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's, it's like uh, some people are lucky in that what they are passionate about is the thing that a lot of other people are passionate about. You know, they are passionate about something that appeals to the mass market. And they uh, they are able to sell that. Like, hats off to them. That's great. Um, but to be shrewd, if you were to actually 100% sell out in the writing industry, in general, if you're planning to sell out and you're like, I'm all about the money, my number one piece of advice to writers who would be all about the money is go into a totally different field, get a totally different job, don't do writing if you're all about the money. It's not there for you. Like, it's it's just not. You won't get it. Most writers don't have full-time writing jobs when they do sell out. It, it just doesn't happen. Find a different thing to sell out for. <laughs> writing isn't going to get it for you. That's actually exactly why I'm a video editor, because I feel like if I did writing full-time as my job to make money, I would eventually hate it and not enjoy doing it. And I love writing too much for that to happen. So yeah, that's that's a good piece of advice, I would say. And I think too, that makes a really good bridge to um, the next thing I, I really want to talk to you about, Matthew, is because one of the reasons why uh, you stepped down from being editor-in-chief with us was you wanted to have more time to focus on writing, maybe perhaps treating writing more as a career. So one of the things I'm interested in hearing you talk about is what do you think some of the hardest parts about the transition from being a writer to treating being a writer as part of your career is I mean like like we've kind of talked about the obvious answer is sort of money but I kind of feel like there's a little bit more to it than that maybe at least for you Matthew yeah the hardest transition is really just the slog of it um and by the slog I mean that so imagine you are sending out countless job applications right like just job application after job application after job application, thundering away sending out these job applications. And you have to send out a hundred to get like one acceptance and you do it and you get that acceptance. But instead of getting a full-time job, you get published at one cent a word and you get about $19. Yeah. And that that is what treating writing like a career is like right now. And especially in the indie publishing sphere, um, one of the big ongoing problems with online short story lit mags is that most of the people who read them are people who are published in them, and there's almost no money in it. So because there's almost no money in it, there's not a lot of money for them to then pass on to their writers and pay them. So, I, you know, I'm not mad when I get paid one cent a word because I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's payment. I'm getting paid. And there's a lot of places where you don't. And even those places, it is so hard to get into. So that's why I'm trying to query a novel now, because hopefully there is more mainstream appeal to that, like the novel buying industry as opposed to the short story industry. But like even then, 
um, you have to go through the agent wall, like putting all the agents you're interested in up on a board and going through one after another, after another, after another, going through a hundred agents and looking up each of them personally to find out what their information is and what they're interested in, because you cannot just send depersonalized query letters. That's the way to get rejected by a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. This is all to say uh, the benchmark for success changes. Like, for example, there was an agent who requested not to see the, the, the entire novel that I that I sent, but like the first 50 pages, like requested a follow up of seeing 50 pages. And that was a success. Um, and they rejected me in the end. But, you know, that was a success. <laughs> it's hard. I'm not going to mince words. Uh, it is. It is often painfully difficult. A lot of people burn out and a lot of people give up. And um, I don't blame them. I honestly don't. Yeah, it, it definitely takes dedication for sure. Because, cause yeah, it, it's, it is a numbers game. And you, like you said, the, like a lottery, the more, the more that you submit, the more chances you have. What keeps you going through all that slog? Like, well, you've said it's it's not necessarily for the money, but for the name recognition. Like, if you don't get published by these big name publishers, would you do self-publishing? Like, what 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 is your thought process, I guess, behind being published? So, um, there is a uh, YouTuber, um, actually, of all people who is called Super Eyepatchman. This sounds random. This is very random. Um, but, like, bear with me. I was actually at a point where I was going to stop for literally that reason, because I was looking at, like, what I was getting out of it, and I had been published. I had been accepted. I did, I did have an upcoming story. It wasn't that long ago. Then he put out this, like, multi-hour-long video about people conning other people into like how they could be successful YouTubers. People putting out fake YouTube video algorithm busting courses. His core takeaway for it was these are fake. Two, there's a lot of problems with being in this industry. And three, after he presented all the problems, like here's why I still do it. And I connected with it a lot, even though it was a totally different industry, because what he said at the end was, look, I am creating something that I am passionate about, and I am putting it in front of other people who don't even know me and connecting with them that way. If you want to do that for money, uh, the time's up in the 21st century. That's not happening anymore. It's, it's over. Uh, like between the writer's strike and just how bad conditions are for writers in general, I'm sorry, it's it's not happening anymore. There may never be another Stephen King again or J.K. Rowling again, just because of the way that the industry works now. But if you are doing it because you are passionate and because you just want to create something and put it out there into the world and have it be out there in the world, if that is your benchmark, if that is what you're looking for, you can still do that. That resonated with me because, yeah, like if I did still have hope of this being my full-time career and that was my goal, um, I would give up. Like, of course, I'm like, Anyone rational would, but 
if I just want to create something and I want to put it out there and I want to share it with people, then yeah, it's still worth doing it at the end of the day. I'm really glad that Elena asked you that question because um, that was what I was thinking too, since our traditional ways of publishing seem almost impossible. Would you explore the idea of going through Amazon or I know there's one uh, called draft to digital, which is um, what George, the Morgantown writers group is, is thinking about doing an anthology through that puts you in public libraries and also Amazon and several other different sites and stores. Uh, I haven't looked into it as much as George has, but do you think that is worthwhile? Um, I don't know if it would be enough to pay to give you a decent income, but do you think that would is the answer to the traditional type of publishing? It depends on what you're trying to do. Um, so if you choose to self-publish or indie publish a novel, you are making your peace with the fact that you'll never be in bookstores. Um, however, if you are self-publishing a novel and doing it in mass market genres like romance, like really successful marketable genres like romance, your earnings potential is higher, like significantly higher than if you uh, traditionally publish, actually. The, the reality is I do not want to publish something just to say, oh, this is published. If I'm publishing something and it's not just on my computer anymore, I want it to get in front of as many people as it can. And, and that really is my goal. Like, I know I'm not going to make money, but I, I want people to see it. I understand why people make the choices they make. Like, the reason for going through something that puts you in public libraries and that at least like being published, the reason to do that is so that you can distribute it still, so that you can share it still and you can say it's out there. And then maybe, yes, someone can find it. It's not a bad decision. It's, it's potentially the decision that works for you. Yeah. Um, you know, like when I talk about how how bad things are as far as your likelihood of success, a lot of people respond to that in different ways. For me, what I've come to peace with is that because the things that I write are so, if, if you've read them, you are aware. They are something that need to be sold to people. I hope, and this is my hope, I hope that people do not realize that they want. Because the alternative to people not realizing that they want them is people not wanting them. Because no one has ever asked for the things that I write. I've never seen people going around saying, I want this thing. And then I've been looking at my hard drive being like, well, good luck, good news, I'm writing it. I like to believe that they are meaningful. And I like to believe that they are important. And I like to believe that once people read them, they will enjoy them. Um, and I think that for that to work, it needs to be marketed and it needs to be sold and, and people need to hear about it. They, they, they can't discover it, unfortunately, organically.
That's, I think, one of the more difficult uh, aspects is, uh, sure, you put your book up on Amazon and they promote it for, what, a week, maybe? And then it's it's on, on the author after that. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually have a book, A uh, Thousand and One Ways to Market Your Book, and... Uh, <laughs> Some of them are so outdated, it's not even funny. And unrealistic, too. There's one that's like, oh, go on your local news channel and do an interview about your novel. And I'm thinking, <laughs> how the heck do you even get on the local news? The way to sell a book, a self-published book, now changes every two to three years, and if, if that. And the people who successfully market a self-published book on Amazon are the people who figure out how to game the system system it's basically not that different from there being a scam that then gets found out and then you need to use another scam and that's honestly how you sell a self yeah book. i find this um conversation particularly interesting coming from um my perspective which is a on the other side of the world and so you know like our um our battles to uh reach traditional publishing are slightly different and our market is really different you know like i think american publishing um is is quite unique in lots of ways because there is an increase more so than other places in the world of this gatekeeping that goes on uh and secondly because i mean my day job ish <laughs> i mean i work in the indie publishing industry right so like learning i've been in there for three years and matthew just like you're saying every six months there is something different in the indie publishing how you promote how you market a book how amazon works or the new things that pop up it is constantly changing and it is so difficult like i speak to authors who have been really successful indie publishers 10 years ago who you know had to completely relearn what they were doing every single year because the market changes the industry changes and one of the big changes i think we've got which kind of touches on some of the things we're talking about here is that our industry is now flooded with options and availability whether you're in traditional or whether you're an indie or whether you're in self self-published like anyone can publish a book these days you know I, I mean, like you say Matthew's different degrees of what you're looking for but because anyone can do it that means that readers are overwhelmed with choice so it yep. floods the market and it makes it so hard to find what it is you're looking for and just like you say Matthew most of the time the books that you really fall in love with are the things you weren't actually looking for you didn't know that was what you needed but how do you find those you know, how does that come across? And that's all down to the marketing aspect, the business aspect, the self-promotion aspect, which is counterintuitive to everything that exists about a person as a writer, right? Absolutely. That's a problem also with big publishing because, you know, big publishing has this certain idea of what a quote-unquote marketable book is. Like, Matthew, if you have something that is completely different what you you were saying um your writing is it, it that makes it that much harder to get traditionally published um yeah. because because you have to you have to work that much harder to convince the agents and the the publishers that your book is worth marketing and you know distributing to people uh -huh. and one of the things that that agents are sick of hearing 
For example, uh, if you don't know, there is a thing called a query letter that you send to agents. I'm, I'm talking to like the general audience. And in a query letter, you have to give two comp titles. So like uh, my book is The Fault in Our Stars meets Harry Potter or something like that. I don't know. That sounds like a weird book. Like that sounds like uh, Tragic Wizards. <laughs> Tragic sick wizards, but you get the idea. Like, uh, you have to have two books that you know that your book would be similar to. And if you have the have the gall to say, I haven't read anything that's like my book, their go-to assumption is, wow, you don't read a lot, do you? Like that's their go-to assumption. And the sad part of that is most of the time they're right. Most of the time, novice authors who are writing query letters, the reason that they cannot find books that are similar to their books is because they don't read a lot. That, that's usually the reason. I, I, would, I, I would push back on that idea. There was a Twitter thread that was actually about this because that is the knee-jerk assumption. But actually, for writers of color, that, that's not necessarily the case. There aren't a lot of books can be compared to the the books that writers of color are writing um so that doesn't necessarily mean that a person is not well read it just means that there's not yeah there's not a, a pool of of books available for that audience and so publishers think that that there's no audience for those books but that's that's not the case and so for that particular mm-hmm. um group of people that makes it even more difficult yep and that's the thing i don't think that you're wrong but i i don't think that i'm wrong either because when i say when i say most of the time i do mean like generally like if you get say a hundred people who are who are querying and out of that hundred people, the majority of people who say I don't have any comp titles, it will be because they haven't read enough books. That is true most of the time. But for a sizable portion, it will actually be that they are writing something different. For a sizable, like very real portion of people, it will be that they are writing something different. And it can be for a lot of reasons. It can be because they're writers of color. It can be just because they're doing something different. It can be because mm-hmm. for so many different reasons. And it is it is a huge issue when it comes to the publication of things that are new and different and interesting. It stands as a guardrail to like getting stuff published that really genuinely is unlike anything else. And that's why I give agents the benefit of the doubt, though. I give agents the benefit of the doubt because if you, if you say something is statistically true, if it's true 90% of the time, then they are right. Um, but it's hard. It's hard for people who are, who are actually being different. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a complex network because if, if you've convinced the the agent or the editor that your book is, you know, this, this awesome thing, then they then have to go and convince their, their publisher that, that money should oh, yeah. be put behind this title. And it'll be successful. And so forth. It'll be successful right. because at the end of the day, it is a business. And sometimes mm-hmm. when agents say, I like this, but I can't sell it. Mm-hmm. Like 
that's not that's not a, a bullshit response. They really mean that. <laughs> they really mean that sometimes. Like they they love it, but they can't see a scenario in which it sells, or even a scenario in which they personally know how to market or sell it. And they mean that. Yeah, it's it's they're they're kind of stuck in the system too. <laughs> so we're all working in this uh yeah, system that we just got to do the best that we can. So along those lines, you mentioned earlier, Matthew, about the, the query um, process. Could you talk a little bit about how you market or write queries or navigate that process for your writing, since it is maybe a little bit different, as you've said. So can you walk us through that a little bit? Um, I have to still follow the rules. Uh, the rules are you introduce a main character, a protagonist, immediately. You say what that protagonist is going through. You say why, um, and I hate doing this. I absolutely love doing this. But you say why you, in particular, are the person to tell this story, um, ignoring all the ethical problems with that. And you basically break down what, in particular, your your resume is and and what you are selling for and you have to summarize the story and what's meaningful or interesting about it because that needs to be a page so meaning that you need to summarize what is important or interesting or marketable about your story in probably like four or five sentences out of that because that's so much else to fit in there you look up agents who sound like they would work well with you and you just you personalize it as much as possible you 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 alter the query and change it as much as possible to fit that agent and then you submit it and you go on a mass submissions binge and you usually have like an excel spreadsheet because you have to keep track of who you have already submitted to and who you've not already submitted to and what agency you've submitted to because you're going to end up with like 50 60 agents that you'll that you've submitted to and an agency might say like don't submit to more than one of our agents at a time and then you have like a four month waiting period to get a response so like you're going to forget uh, that you submitted to the agency because of the four-month waiting period. So you really have to record that you have done that submission. And yeah, I sound like a crazy person because I'm going over all this and the obvious response is, holy crap, you do that? Like, like that that's a- it's Like a full-time job. Yeah, you, you, you do this? You like, this is a thing you spend your time on. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I do that. I, I, I do that. And I have not been, I have not had my novel published. So uh, we're, 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 we're in the trenches. Um, Still a waiting game. <laughs> yeah. People do this for like a year or sometimes more. Um, mm -hmm. They just go through agent after agent after agent. They wait till their favorite agent is open. Um, because agents will spend long periods of time closed because when they open for even a day, they end up with thousands of submissions in, mm -hmm. in like a span of a week. They usually, as a result, don't even read the entire query. They just, they look for the part that is an auto reject for them and they just go, no, 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 no. And that's how fast they reject different queries. Like that would have been like four or five queries. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. <laughs> Speaking, since we're all, all of us are editors, we, we definitely know how that yep. slushing works. Yep. It's, 
It's a lot. It sound the way that Matthew describes it, like, you know, oh, you just reject, reject. It sounds like you're reading and not putting much care into it. But because we have, we and, you know, all the editors doing this have a lot of experience with stories and, you know, crafting. And we, we already know um, what what it is we're looking for. So it's not that it's not, you know, we're, we're doing it, you know, with a cold heart. <laughs> it's that there's... Um, we we have experience with what we're looking for and and what as Matthew said what we know that we can well I not me because I'm not selling anything but other editors what they know they can sell that key point of what sells is so like that took me such a long time to get over I mean you know like you guys have all worked with me here at the Middlework you know how passionate I am about always trying to find you know like there's so much potential I think the first few weeks of me being a slush reader for various things every single comment I had would be like this has got so much potential it just needs a little bit of this a little bit of that now that I'm three years into it and I open up you know any of the the slush reading piles whether it's my indie publishing or here at the journal or anywhere else uh you know like i i have to be so much more cutthroat because it's like you say matthew it's down to time you know you get mm-hmm. so many as editors or as assessors you get so much stuff come through the door and you just realistically cannot give everyone the time that you wish you could you have to Uh have this little list in your head and I think that's kind of why we often get a really bad rep on this end of things because we do like look like vicious Mm -hmm. gatekeepers for just going reject real fast and it's awful we don't actually like Mm -hmm. doing it but you have to learn to do that you have to learn just Mm -hmm. like as a writer have to learn to be able to weather the rejections as an editor you also have to learn to be able to wither that cutthroat in yourself you know to be able to make those snap decisions and especially when it comes to indie publishing that question is so awful is is there a market for this you know and Mm -hmm. it's so difficult to grapple with when you're in it for the passion but that's a harsh reality you know there's no point in any business Mm -hmm. investing in something that they can't get some return from. And it's the same with you as a writer. You're not going to invest your time in an idea for a story that you know isn't going to go anywhere for you. It's exactly the same for the people assessing that work, you know? It's just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, it, it all it all comes down to, to resources and, and money. Time is a resource. Money is a resource. How much How much time can you dedicate to this? How much money can you dedicate to this? So... Yeah, it's you have to be selective because you're you're working with finite resources here. Mm-hmm. And it's also down to what your community is. Also true. You know, like we know as the meta worker, you know, like what what our community, what our readership is and what matches with that as well as what matches with our own, you know? And it's I mean it's the same when you're sending a, a query submission, you're trying to match yourself with their community too there's this constant supply and demand on all kinds of personal levels and business levels left right and center it is so complex right Mm -hmm. none of it's simple yeah and especially uh like shout out to my um like everyone who does indie publishing everyone who does those short story mags everyone who does those like independently published books because like yes they are forced into being the gatekeepers but like 
look at their returns, look at how much money they make on their sales, and you will realize that a lot of the time, the editors, the head editors and of those publishers, the people in charge of those publishers are investing their own money out of pocket just to keep those places running. And a lot of them are folding. Mm -hmm. We're in actually a big downward trend for uh, lit mags because I think that readership for uh, lit mags keeps getting lower and a lot of lit mags put their stories online for free. Unfortunately, uh, that is that is not profitable. Um, like I, I say this as someone who was the editor in chief of the Meta Worker. Um, you know, I'm just being realistic. Like you don't make money that way, and other people do it. Mm -mm. So even if you don't do it, there'll be another lit mag that you'll that they'll go to that puts their stories online for free. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Uh, it's hard, and a lot of them are, are closing. Like I believe, uh, fantasy is closing yeah. right uh yeah there were there's a couple others i forget the names but yeah there there are several mm -hmm. i've seen that are closing because yeah it's just not sustainable because because yeah as as you said a lot of a lot of the readers of these magazines are well i don't know i don't have data to back this up but to me it, it's it's a niche and and i don't i don't know how often people outside of that that niche come and read the stories and actually yeah. contribute monetarily to keep them running so that's the challenge too. like like we were, we've been saying marketing yeah. you have to market the magazine itself too to to get the money to to fund it so yeah so once there was a point it was a while ago but i went into r slash books on reddit and i made the post hey check out uh litmax to a community of readers not writers but readers and people, mm -hmm. so many people responded with, holy crap, I never considered this. Like, I legitimately mm -hmm. never even thought of this. So, you know, unfortunately, I would say shout out, read LitMags. But if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know about LitMags. So whatever. Um, Keep sharing. <laughs> yeah, the readers in your life, the people who only read, like, novels, like, let them know that there are LitMags on the internet that are like so hyper specialized. Like there's one lit mag that literally they just do stories about mermaids. You can find like specifically what your interest is. Um, yeah. There was a really, really excellent story that got published in Nightmare Magazine. And I am only going to call it by this because it is his actual name. Dick Pig is probably a perfect example of a story that is so weird and proves there are still like absolutely bizarre stories being published that do not neatly fit um, the algorithms of what is marketable. And like, you can quote me on this. I want to write something like Dick Pig, like really badly. It's just such an aspirational challenge it's so cutthroat, unfortunately, for writers. Because it's so cutthroat, the, the things that actually get published are usually, like, such high quality. You, you can find some really good stuff if you're, if you're a fan, a, a reader, and you actually are willing yeah. to, like, look into it. The stories that do make it through just, like, it inspires me even more 
because because mm-hmm. you see the great quality of the stories that do make it through. So I see that as as a, a aspirational challenge. Like I can write something like that. I want to write that well. Let me mm-hmm. try to you know be the one to make it through the 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 slog, the slush. Yeah, the the gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to stop our conversation here because we've talked for a while and we have a lot more to say. We'll be picking up the discussion in part two of this catch-up series, where we'll talk with Matthew about writing craft and we'll hear an excerpt from one of his short stories. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MetaWorker podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and consider supporting us on Patreon. For more episodes and other great content, find us on social media at The Metaworker, and online at www.themetaworker.com.